Welcome to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast, a show helping you find better ways to live, run, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. The website for the show is paleorunner.org. Follow me on facebook.com slash runpaleo or on Twitter at runpaleo. The sponsor for the show is 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates. It's made from coconut, grass-fed whey protein, and a slow-releasing starch. To get 10% off your order, go to 3Fuel.com and use the promo code 3FOLSON. My guest today is Paul Jaminet. Paul is a scientist with a PhD in physics. He has worked as an astrophysicist at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center. He now works as an economist and consultant and has most recently turned his focus to health and nutrition. His book is called The Perfect Health Diet and is authored by he and his wife. His wife is a molecular biologist and cancer researcher at the Harvard Medical School. If you're listening to today's show on an Apple device, you'll be able to find links, chapters, and other information as you follow along with the show. Paul, thanks for being being part of the show today. It's great to have you on. Oh, hi, Aaron. It's great to be with you. So I know you have kind of a, a story about how you came to the paleo diet and what kind of health improvements you saw when you first went on it. Can you give our listeners a little bit of background about how you came to the paleo style of eating and what kind of issues you were dealing with and what kind of improvements you saw? Yeah, well, I had sort of a long history of health problems dating back to birth, actually. Um, my mother was diagnosed with cancer while she was pregnant with me. And, uh, uh, you know, basically from the, the time I was born premature, um, you know, like four pounds, nine ounces. And I had ear infections, chronic ear infections through my first four years of life. And I was in and out of the hospital. Um, as a teenager, I had bad acne and that stuck around. And in my late 20s, I decided to try and get medical treatment for it. And I had a year long course of antibiotics and that really damaged my health. So everything started getting worse uh, while I was on antibiotics. And from that point on, it kept getting worse every year. Um, so I developed rosacea, hypothyroidism. Um, I was running and, you know, while I was on the antibiotics, my running speed slowed down tremendously. Um, and, and, but most scary of all, I started developing neurological issues. So, you know, very slow reaction times. I lost my balance easily. I would drop things, fumble things all the time. And I started losing my memory. I couldn't remember people. I couldn't remember facts. I couldn't remember where to find facts, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I kept losing things and, uh, um, so I was getting really worried that, you know, I was coming down with Alzheimer's or MS or something at age 40. And, uh, um, and you know, so at about age 40, I found the paleo diet and, uh, and that had an effect. Um, it wasn't all good, but it was all interesting. And so I started thinking, you know, diet must be really the key to fixing my health and started working on it. Um, and that's what led us, you know, it's now seven years later and, uh, we published a book, you know, we, we pretty thoroughly researched, uh, the diet and nutritional biology literature and, and figured out what we think is the optimal diet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, and it's not only helped ourselves, but hundreds of people have reported cures of medical conditions and, uh, uh, you know, so we're very happy with, uh, what's come about. And we're very optimistic that our diet can help a lot of people. And, uh, and the other aspect of it is that um, our diet really tastes great. So it very much resembles gourmet cuisines. Um, I don't think that's an accident that the healthiest diet tastes great. I think our brain evolved to uh, 
reward us for doing what's good for us. And, uh, um, and that's, so that's very gratifying, you know, that you can kind of have your cake and eat it too, be healthy and be happy. The diet is basically takes the idea of an evolutionary perspective that the diet that's best for humans is the diet that we evolved to eat. And you say that that evolutionary perspective shows that we should be eating things like a higher fat diet. I know, I think in your book, you said around 55% fat and people are that, that are runners and stuff. They read runner's world and, and they're supposed to, it tells them to shy, shy away from saturated fat. But you say it's a benign substance. And I think that brings some confusion. I mean, some people might think, well, I thought we evolved from monkeys. Don't they eat bananas? Wouldn't uh, the vegetarian diet be the healthiest? How do you, how, how can you explain that to people that saturated fat really is a benign substance that can be used for fuel in the body? Yeah. Well, those are, you know, that's a complex group of questions. So, mm -hmm. you know, for, first dealing with the, with the monkey issues, we talk, we have a chapter in our book on mammalian diets mm -hmm. and animal diets and, you know, basically relating those to human diets. So every animal that eats a different diet uh, has a different digestive tract and every animal needs very similar nourishment. So the function of the digestive tract is to transform different kinds of food into a similar set of nutrients. And we humans really have a very minimal digestive tract. So in our case, it's beneficial to eat uh, a nutrient profile very similar to what our bodies need. And so we can actually look at the nutrient profile that gorillas get after digestion uh, and use that as a template for us. And gorillas and chimpanzees end up getting about 60% of calories from saturated fats mm. uh, just as a result of fermenting fiber. Their, their diets are extremely fiber rich and bacteria in, in their guts ferment the fiber into saturated fats. Um, so, you know, that's one that's one instance uh, that, that gives it plausibility. Um, another one, uh, breast milk and the milk of all mammals is very rich in saturated fat. That's why uh, dairy fats are high in saturated fat. Mm -hmm. um, and breast milk, of course, is the perfect food for infants. Um, you know, so so those are some evolutionary biology sources of evidence. Mm -hmm. uh, in general, saturated fat is very good for athletes. It helps create a very good body composition. Um, it is very beneficial for mitochondria and muscle and for energy production. So for uh, explosive power, speed. Uh, so really? Even, even explosive power? Because sometimes you hear that, you know, if you want to do sprints or something, you need to eat a high carb diet because um, there's a glycolytic well, process that, that's needed for sprinting. Is that true? Yes. Um, but there's a difference between uh, performance in competition, peak performance and training. And so for peak performance, you need to have, particularly if it's over an extended period of time, you need to have your glycogen reservoirs full uh, because uh, glycogen can uh, create the most ATP per unit of oxygen. Mm. And so if you're going to be, you know, any event where you're going to be breathing heavy, if you've got your glycogen stores full, uh, you know, then you'll be better able to, uh, you know, get the most out of the oxygen that you're breathing. But uh, you know, that's sort of a performance thing. So right. you may want to carb load before an event, mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that you want to carb load every day for training. Right. What you want to do for training is maximize mitochondrial health. Um, and you also want to become efficient at fat burning. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
fat is actually um, a very good energy source, and uh, and burning fat will also help you increase your VO2 max and other other things like that, improve your uh, cardiovascular health. So, okay. you know, your goals in training should be a little bit different than your goals in competition. So are and, you saying uh, that by just eating more fat, we can basically train our bodies while we're not actively training to burn more fat? Is that the basic idea? Uh, or basically. That- so, okay. right. So what you want to do is eat a balanced diet. Mm-hmm. So generally that means around half fat by calories with an emphasis towards saturated fat and monounsaturated fat mm-hmm. and maybe 30 percent carbs, maybe 15 percent protein. Mm-hmm. So a strength that athlete might want to go more toward 20 percent protein. But, you know, that's the that's the vicinity that you want. And, uh, um, you know, so that'll support all the body functions and it'll get your muscles burning fat primarily, except when they have, you know, a need for explosive energy. Um, And so that that mix will generally be best uh, for training. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, and then you might you might carb load a little, you know, just before an event, especially if you're an endurance athlete. Okay. so you've given a couple sources of evidence why this diet might be good. You've said that um, a lot of mammalian animals, actually, they take in a ton of fiber and they turn that into fat. And a mother's breast milk is very high in fat and it's, and it's very healthy for the child. What's the importance of lowering the carbohydrates? Is it because of insulin or is it because our ancestors, since they ate a higher fat and less carb, that's what we should do? Well, I, I think it's more what you really want is you want your food to nourish your body. Mm -hmm. So uh, think about it this way. The way cells are designed, uh, they have a certain they have certain structural components. They have lipid membranes composed mainly of fat. Mm -hmm. They have proteins which are uh, flowed in their cytosol and water and also thread their membranes. They have carbohydrates that uh, bond with the proteins uh, and also are very important for the extracellular matrix that cells build around them. Um, And you also have electrolytes, minerals that are, are floating in the water. Um, and what happens when you fast is that cells cannibalize themselves. So they pull fats off the membrane and burn them. They consume protein and they shrink in size. And then when you eat a meal, what the cells want to do is pull nutrients from the blood uh, that you got from the meal and use them to rebuild themselves to their proper size. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't think of what you eat as providing things that are going to be burned for energy. Uh, you should think about what you eat as things that are going to be incorporated into cells. Okay. And that's, that's the healthiest way to eat. And your cells can only incorporate so much carbohydrate or into their structure. Um, so cells have a very well-defined structure and it's minority carbohydrate. Okay. And so when you eat extra carbohydrate, you're forcing your body to do sort of unnatural things, either, either to burn extra glucose and less, uh, to do less self-cannibalization, um, or convert the glucose to fat or, um, you know, but primarily you end up uh, burning extra glucose and that's not as healthy because you're, you're 
it's sort of an emergency mechanism uh, mm-hmm. that bypasses the, the biologically healthy process of self-cannibalization by cells and then reconstruction. So um, you're, you're saying that self-cannibalization of cells is a good thing? That, that sounds kind of bad. I'm, do you, why do you want to cannibalize your cells? Well, that's how biology works. That's that's why it's good for us to eat other animals and plants, um, you know, which also have the same structure of cells, um, you know, composed of uh, fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. Okay. Um, you know, so the very reason that that natural living plants and animals are the healthiest food for us um, is also the reason why it's normal and proper for our bodies to self-cannibalize. And that's why if you're on a healthy diet, you can tolerate fasting very well. Um, you know, so if you're if you're eating a diet that resembles the composition of your cells, then there's really no difference as far as the cell is concerned between whether you're eating or whether you're fasting. Okay. Um, the only difference is that while you're fasting, your body is shrinking a little. Okay. Um, and while you're eating, your body's growing. But as far as the metabolism, you know, what it's burning for energy, it's exactly the same. And you know, so one advantage of eating in the pattern of our diet is that it makes fasting very easy. Uh, you don't get hungry. You, you don't miss meals if you're busy that day and you have to skip a few meals. So it happens I've been busy today. Uh, it's uh, 2.20 in the afternoon and I still haven't eaten yet. Wow. Uh, but but I feel fine. Okay. Um, so, are fats, so are fats empty calories or that can do they contain any nutrients that would be helpful for things like athletic performance or is it just strictly a fuel? Uh, no, everything we eat should be more than a fuel. If it, if it's only a fuel, then uh, then you shouldn't eat it. Um, but um, fats, it, it's actually there's a broader technical term called lipids, mm-hmm. uh, which encompasses fats plus some other compounds that uh, associate with fats, and uh, and many of those are very important nutrients. Okay. Um, so key things are um, the kind, the way fats appear in cell membranes is actually as phospholipids, mm-hmm. which are two fatty acids combined to a glycerol, which is a kind of carbohydrate combined to an organic molecule like choline. And choline is an extremely important nutrient. Um, I mentioned carbohydrate as a as a nutrient we should have in our diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, so that's just one example. Cholesterol is an important nutrient. Uh, Cholesterol study, is important. I thought that was going to clog our arteries. <laughs> no, it is. It is an important nutrient. Um, there, there was a study in 1974 uh, by a guy named Fred Kumaro. Uh, where he fed rats a diet of 100% eggs or 100% egg beaters. Uh And egg beaters were a fake egg that's missing cholesterol and a few other nutrients. And and it turns out the rats that ate the eggs were quite healthy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The rats that ate the egg beaters were uh, extremely scrawny and ugly and sickly, and they died died at age eight eight weeks. Wow. so it's uh you know there are lots of things in in natural fats that that we very much need okay so you're saying it's it didn't clog the arteries in rats but there's been some new evidence coming out i think if people were to go to their doctor and say i'm going to go on this diet that sounds evolutionarily correct and it's but it's it's a higher fat diet like 55 percent their doctor's going to say whoa whoa that that's no good you you might feel good or something you might lose weight but you're going to kill yourself is what can you summarize the latest research on whether fat's going to clog someone's arteries and give them a heart attack or not? 
Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. Actually, it works the opposite way. Okay. Uh, when when you eat fat, then your cells consume fat, and that helps keep your arteries clear of fat. Mm. Whereas if you're eating carbohydrates all the time, then your cells are forced to uh, metabolize carbohydrates in order to dispose of these things after meals. And that means they don't do a good job of clearing fats from your arteries. Okay. Um, but if someone does have that problem, their doctors are complaining, just uh, recommend our book to the doctors because uh, a lot of doctors have been convinced by our book. We have a lot of doctors tell us they recommend it to their patients. And oh. we've gotten a lot of emails from people who said, oh, I read your book because my doctor recommended it to me. Oh, wow. So it's, it is changing slowly. Yeah, it's okay. it's definitely, you know, I think we have a very strong scientific case. You know, one thing about our book is we explain all the reasons for mm -hmm. every recommendation. Right. And it is a compelling case. And we also have hundreds of reader success stories. So and and it's not it's not an extreme diet. You know, it's not like an extreme low carb diet. Uh, it's not a low plant food diet. And, uh, you know, so I think doctors feel comfortable recommending it. Yeah, when you said that um, as you're eating more fat, that it, it uh, allows your body to clear more fat because it's burning it. I noticed that when I went on this style of diet, I had my blood checked and my triglycerides on a typical American diet, with, which was high carb, I was a runner. I thought I ate healthy. I am a runner still, but it was they were around 80 to 90. And when I went on the higher fat paleo style diet, my triglycerides dropped to like 47 and my HDL went up, which is the good uh, cholesterol or I don't know what they call it now, but it's supposedly associated with um, uh, less cardiovascular disease. So that was really interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a universal experience. It's, you know, basically lower carbs to 30% uh, and raise, uh, raise your, replace the missing carbs with fat and uh, your triglycerides will go down because uh, fat clearance from the blood has increased mm -hmm. and uh, HDL will go up. So, you know, basically everyone who eats 30% carbs or less will end up with, you know, pretty much picture perfect triglycerides and HDL. Okay. Now, you're an economist or uh, economic consultant and a physicist. How is thinking about complex issues similar to health and nutrition? It, can you take some of those skills and apply them to nutrition, or is it a totally different uh, paradigm that you have to use? Yeah, I, I think it's similar. I think, uh, you know, I would say... You know, my, my physics background is helpful in terms of scientific rigor and just, you know, it, being careful, simple things like crediting all your sources and, uh, you, you know, being careful about, you know, what things say, you know, it, it leads you to do more careful thinking, more careful work, mm -hmm. um, easier to check whether something you assumed is true really is true. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you sit down to write, you believe something is true, but then you try to find evidence for it. And, uh, and you find there isn't evidence for it and you have to change your mind. And, you know, so that happened, that happened to us a number of times while we were writing the original draft of the book. Okay. And, uh, and then economics, I think is really close to diet and biology. So, um, in the original edition of our book, I talked about how um, the cooperation of, of people and, and other goods in an economy is very similar to how molecules and cells, nutrients, cooperate to build a healthy body. Mm -hmm. um, and there really is an intimate level of cooperation between everything in your body. And so having a background in economics really helps to understand biology mm -hmm. and uh, 
you know, it helps avoid some mistakes that you commonly see. Uh, yeah, and I think in your book you showed um, like a Gaussian peak where um, you have certain nutrients that are helpful up to a point, and then as you consume more and more of them, they get less and less helpful. And I think, isn't that similar in economics where you have margins on either side and a certain uh, way of doing things is going to be helpful up to a point, but then as you do more of it, is, yeah. is there similarity there? Right, that's right. So in economics, you have this concept of diminishing marginal utility. Mm -hmm. um, so the more you get of something, the less valuable it is to you. Okay. Um, you know, so for instance, um, if you didn't have any paper, uh, then you wouldn't be able to write things. So getting more paper would be valuable. At some point, you have a, good, a great amount of paper and, you know, you don't need or want anymore. And if you kept getting more, it would start to crowd your house. And um, if it filled every room, you might not be able to go in. And so it would be a negative for you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so it's similar with nutrients. Um, you know, they do you some good in small doses. And the more you get, the, the less good each, each additional bit does you. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you reach an optimum where... Uh, you know, you've you've ful fulfilled all the beneficial uses of the nutrient, and as you get an excess, then it starts to do you harm. And you know, so it's quite you know the reasoning is quite similar uh, in biology as it is to economics. Okay, you know, one thing I I like about the evolutionary approach versus what I kind of think of as like a more sci modern scientific approach is uh, a scientist can do a study on a few thousand people and show that there's no harmful effect. But if we look to evol to an evolutionary perspective, Mother Nature has already done thousands or millions of studies and deleted most of the bad things and kept the things that worked. So you, you could do a scientific study that shows that statins have no consequence, but um, an evolutionary approach seems to be a little bit more prudent um, versus versus some of the modern approaches. I mean, another thing that I think about with running is modern running shoes have become so cushioned and built up that some people are now saying that they might be contributing to injury. And, some pe and we're going back to more of a minimal type shoe. A lot of people have tried that and found good success. So I think that's really a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I think that's quite right. You know, I'm, in both respects. So I, I I run in Vibrams myself. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, you're exactly right as far as diet. So you know, evolution it really wanted to optimize our health, and uh, so in many ways it it shows us just what the optimal diet is. And the parameter space in in diet is so huge that it's just not possible for scientists to test every possibility. Mm -hmm. And you know, and you know, plus there are confounders. So there are lots of other things besides diet. Uh, that affect health. And often, you know, things like how much exercise do people get? Do they smoke? Do they get sunlight? Um, you know, those things are, you know, what's their income? Those mm -hmm. things are connected to how healthy they are, um, but they also correlate with what foods they eat. And, you know, so it's hard to tell what's, you know, what's affecting people's health, their food or their, uh, their income or their exercise or their smoking or their sunlight. So, yeah. You know, it, it's just very difficult for conventional approaches that, you know, that aren't informed by biology, especially evolutionary biology, to figure out what the optimal diet is. Yeah. And how, when you're writing your book, how do you separate correlation from causation? I mean, there were some times where I was reading your book, and I think one example was elderly people um, 
they get they get out of their circadian rhythm and that's the main reason why they suffer ill health and and i was thinking to myself can you really separate that that and say that that's causation and some how do you do that in your own mind as you're writing um and looking at studies of you know just because it's raining outside and people are carrying their umbrellas doesn't mean that the umbrellas cause the rain so how 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 do you go about that um yeah, well, it it's not always perfect. So not every bit of uh, knowledge or advice that we give in the book is completely 100% secure, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it all has an evidentiary basis. So, you know, we present the evidence, you know, and in some cases, the direction of causality is, uh, you know, one direction is more plausible than the other, you know, so it, it, if there's an association between sun exposure and good health, um, you know, it probably does run both ways. You know, people who are unhealthy tend are less likely to go outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may, you know, sit around indoors more. Uh, but people who go outdoors, you know, the, the sun exposure will tend to make them more healthy. Um, you know, one way to check that is to look at, you know, to look over time. You know, if people who are similarly healthy at one point, one is going outdoors, the other one is not, you know, which one is more likely to be unhealthy 10 years later? Um, and studies like that have been done. Those are called prospective cohort studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you, you know, when we look at long lived populations around the world and centenarians, uh, we find that circadian rhythm factors like going outdoors and getting exercise uh, and fasting, intermittent fasting and, and so on are really huge factors in longevity. Okay. Um, you know, to such an extent that it's almost hard to detect the influence of diet in um, a lot of centenarian studies, you know, and all of those things, you know, like sleep loss, like exercise versus inactivity, you know, they all have huge impacts on health. It's comparable to smoking versus not smoking. It's around, you know, six years of lifespan. What about confirmation bias? I I heard in one interview that, um, you know, as you started looking more and more into your diet, you you started to everything started to fit together and i was thinking to myself what kind of intellectual self defense do you have against just confirming your biases and and um you know really thinking through things a, a, as to whether am i is this diet really helping or is it helping because i want it to help and and things like that i i've seen hu- huge improvements in my health but sometimes i wonder how how much that's due to the diet or is it due to my my own preconceived uh bias yeah well those bias biases and prejudices are powerful mm-hmm. you know so in, in my case uh when i started paleo i really wanted to believe in the very low carb story you know i i think some of that is a kind of vanity uh you know that i wanted I wanted to be doing something odd so that I could be right and everyone else could be wrong. And, uh, you know, so being very low carb was one way to achieve that. And, uh, you know, so it took me a, a while to, um, you know, to come around to realizing that the evidence showed that, you know, eating a more normal amount of carbs, like a 30% carb diet, um, is actually the, the most healthful diet. Okay. And, uh, it, you know, so my, my thinking, you know, did have to change based on the evidence. 
I, I think one way to avoid those biases is to try to write a diet book in which you clearly spell out your logic and find evidence supporting every point in, in your logical arguments, which is what, what we tried to do. And, you know, so that that really tests the quality of your reasoning. And, uh, you know, if your if your ideas are driven by assumptions and bias, then then you'll find a hard time finding uh, logic and evidential support uh, for your ideas. I'm, I'm not advising that everybody do. You know, it took us it took us years to write our book. So yeah. um, I'm not advising that everybody do that. But I think <laughs> that's one way to help correct your biases. OK, well, let's get on to a little bit more about your diet. There's a, there's a few things about your diet that are a little bit different than other Paleolithic style diets. And a couple of things that you include in your diet are white potatoes and white rice. Now, I've been reading Runner's World for years, and the nutritionists in there always say, you, you want to stay away from the white stuff, stay away from the white potatoes, the white rice, the white flour. Why are you telling us that those might be healthy things to include in our diet? Well, I, I I think first of all, you know, that the basis for that conventional advice is is really based on the observation that eating natural whole foods is healthier than eating uh, refined purified foods. Um, you know, so things made with wheat flour like cookies and crackers and donuts aren't as healthy as you know whole food diets, even if they're whole grain diets. Um, but white rice and white potatoes are natural whole foods. So it's actually, you know, it, it's a mistake to blame the color white for the unhealthfulness of foods. It's, it's actually the, uh, you know, the artificial, refined, purified, uh, industrial, composed foods that are not healthy, you know, not the white foods. Okay. Uh, so that would be, that would be my primary answer. Um, and uh, um, in terms of white rice and white potatoes, you know, we want people to eat some carbohydrates and, and we think those are among the healthiest sources because they're extremely low in toxicity. Um, and they're also nourishing. So the most, the most desirable form of carbohydrate for us is uh, glucose. So something like fructose is less is less helpful to us, and so it's it's good for us to get a fair amount of starches, um, which provide glucose without fructose. And uh, and white rice and white potatoes are among the healthiest, lowest toxicity uh, sources of starch. Okay, so you mentioned uh, white rice, and a lot of people might be thinking, why not brown rice? Why not whole grains to fill that thirty percent carbohydrate? Um, what can you explain some of the anti-nutrients or toxins that might be found in whole grains and brown rice? Yeah, well, in general, grains are some of the most toxin-rich foods. And the reason is because they grow on grasslands where they co-evolved with herbivorous mammals like cows and horses. And so the, the uh, cereal grains were constantly being eaten by mammals. And they didn't want the digestive tracts of mammals to destroy them so that they couldn't destroy the seeds so that they couldn't reproduce and form a new wheat plant. What they would much rather want is for the seeds to survive intact and come out the other end of the cow or horse uh, with a bunch of manure to fertilize a new plant. And so the way they did that was they put into the shell, you know, which is basically the bran, uh, a bunch of proteins that would sabotage mammalian digestion. And, you know, so those proteins are basically toxic to us and they work in us as well as the, as well as in horses and cows. In fact, even they work even more so in us because we don't have the 
um, evolve digestive uh, mechanisms that uh, cows and horses do. And, you know, so we're, we're vulnerable to those, to those toxins and the best thing is not to eat them. And so it's, we're actually better off not eating the brand. And, uh, and those toxins in most grains, they survive cooking, mm. uh, but that's not the case in white rice. So in white rice, they're uh, destroyed in ordinary routine cooking. Okay. And uh, so that's what makes white rice safer than other grains. How about the saponins that are found in white potatoes? Are those, first of all, are those in just white potatoes or are they, are they also found in sweet potatoes? I know a lot of Paleolithic style eaters will, will gravitate, gravitate towards sweet potatoes. But um, are, is that, are those toxins, the saponins, something we need to worry about? Um, yeah, they are something to worry about, uh, but their levels, the levels are highly variable. So, uh, you know, potatoes in their natural state, if they're not threatened by anything, uh, generally don't produce uh, large quantities of these. And, and so they're not, they're not dangerous to humans. Uh, but if they're exposed to heat, uh, to moisture, to bright light, um, if their skins are penetrated, uh, you know, by bugs or or something like that. You know, then they'll generate these uh, toxic compounds as defenses. And uh, um, you know, but the the uh, toxins tend to be concentrated close to the skin. So if you peel potatoes, that will reduce toxicity. Uh, you know, but the most important thing is to handle them properly. Uh, don't expose them to light. Uh, you know, keep them in cool, dry conditions, but not too cold. And, uh, you know, and basically, you know, the, the best way to manage potatoes is to store them well until you cook them, you know, cook them reasonably quickly. Uh, and then you might want to, you know, do something like boil them and then dice them before you eat them and look for any discolored areas mm, and, okay. and cut, cut away the discoloration. <clears throat> Okay, so in my case, I shared with you earlier before we started recording that, you know, I had a lot of digestive issues, and when I would run, it would really affect me, um, especially on the longer runs. Do you think that the reason the paleo diet helped for someone like me is because I eliminated grains and some of those toxins could have been disrupting my digestive tract? Yeah, I, I think that's very possible. You know, lot, lots of people recover from uh, digestive tract issues when they give up grains, especially wheat. Um, there's also, but there's lots of other things that can affect it. So things like sugar, things like omega-6 fats from vegetable oil, uh, you know, both of those tend to generate gut dysbiosis and problems. And, uh, um, you know, there are other sources of toxicity. There's malnutrition, um, you know, the wrong forms of fiber. You know, so we evolved for certain forms of fiber, uh, mainly resistant starch from starches like potatoes and uh, soluble fibers from fruits and vegetables, uh, things like that. And, um, you know, so the type... And we also evolved for eating a lot of foods with antimicrobial compounds. Mm. So, for instance, a lot, a lot of plants are threatened by fungi in the wild, so they make antifungal compounds. And, you know, we, in our ancestral diet, we ate a lot of vegetables and root vegetables that, that have a lot of those compounds. And so that helps shape the flora of the digestive tract in a beneficial way. And 
you know, so we basically co-evolved with gut bacteria. And if you eat the correct diet, then you're much more likely to have a good mix of gut bacteria. Whereas if you're eating a diet of like cookies and crackers and cakes and donuts, you know, made of refined flour and sugar and vegetable seed oils and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, then the odds are your, your gut flora is going gonna, is gonna to be a little problematic. Okay. You mentioned sugar in there, and that's for me, that was one of the hardest things to give up as I went towards the paleo style of eating. I mean, it's in Gatorade. It's in the sports drinks that we take during marathons. And it's chocolate is so good. Is there any amount of sugar that's okay to have? I mean, say I go out for a 20-mile run, and I have some Gatorade during the run. Or, or I come home, like I think last week I made some date balls with dates and nuts and then coated them in a dark chocolate. Is is Do you exclude all sugar, or is there some amount that's okay? No, we basically recommend excluding added sugar. Um, but, uh, and, you know, getting sugar from uh, natural plant foods like, uh, say, beets, carrots, fruits, berries. Um, and then if, if you want added sweeteners, um, you, you can do some mix of uh, dextrose, you know, something that's pure glucose, like dextrose powder or uh, tapioca syrup, those type of things. You know, okay. maybe with a, l- a little bit of something that has fructose, like honey. Um, you know, but basically, added sugar should be a very small part of your diet. And athletes are probably, you know, the exception who can who can have, you know, who will best tolerate sugar because you know the exercise is depleting glycogen from your liver, especially, and the fructose that you eat goes straight to your liver and helps replenish glycogen. And, you know, whereas somebody who's not exercising and is eating a high carb diet, you know, they really don't have any free glycogen. And so when they eat fructose, it, it's malabsorbed. The body doesn't want it. It goes to gut bacteria and it causes gut dysbiosis and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and conditions like that. You know, so athletes can can tolerate, you know, more sugar than uh, ordinary people, but you still don't want to overdo it. I wanted to ask you about dairy products because a lot of the paleo style eating says, you know, wild animals weren't meant to be milked. But you say, you know, actually dairy products are okay. Um, Lauren Cordain seems to link dairy to acne and things like zinc malabsorption. He also, in his latest book, says that there's things like steroids and growth hormones and bioactive peptides in dairy. Are those... Are those true claims? And why? what is it about dairy that you think is advantageous to include in the diet? Yeah, well, many of those claims are, are valid. So, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, cow's milk is the perfect food for uh, calves, but it's not the perfect food for adult humans. Um, and, you know, so that's a, that's a valid point that, you know, we can probably do better in our diet than drinking cow's milk. Um, so, but there are a lot of things to like about dairy, you know, so the fats are really good for us. It's really a terrific mix of fatty acids and cholesterol and things like that. Um, so things like butter are very good. Um, and uh, and in general, fermentation of, of dairy removes a lot of the, you know, harmful, potentially risky compounds. You know, so things like yogurt and cheese um, have a lot of good points. So we basically recommend, uh, you know, including fatty and fermented dairy in in your diet unless you're sensitive to dairy. And um, um, and we don't recommend drinking milk. Uh, 
So, you know, I, I think dairy is kind of a, it's kind of a judgment call. Uh, it may not be a perfect food, but it's a, it's a very good food. It's also inexpensive and, uh, um, and it can be very pleasurable too. So, uh, okay. you know, it's good to have homemade ice cream. It's good to have cheese. Um, fermented foods are generally good. They're a good source of vitamin K2 and vitamin B12 and things like that. And so some aged cheese is really quite good for you. Okay. Uh, One thing I found about eating this way is that it, 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 you say it's a really delicious diet, and I found that too. And w one of my favorite snacks or things to have, uh, not really a snack, but something that I'll eat is bacon. And you even mentioned in the book that bacon is okay to eat for breakfast, bacon and eggs. And can you go into that a little? Is Does bacon really, is that a nutritious food that we can eat for breakfast? Um, well, I wouldn't say that bacon is, is terribly nutritious, but, uh, you know, that there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it as long as it's been cooked well enough you know sometimes pigs can get infections that are dangerous to humans like hepatitis e virus mm. and uh you know so you do want to you do want to cook pork products reasonably well uh you don't want to cook bacon to a crisp um you know because that generates toxins as well but uh you do want to you know get it appropriately warm um and uh you know, but in, in general, I think, you know, there, there's no reason for bacon to be an un, unhealthy food as long as it's not, you know, dominating your diet and crowding out other, you know, nutrients that you need. Okay. Well, you know, we're coming up on time here and there's so many things that I'd love to talk to you about, but I know you've got you've to get going in a few minutes. Um, what do you say for a practical approach? People might be listening and they say, you know, that sounds, I want to burn more fat. I want to uh, lower my triglycerides, raise, raise my HDL. Um, this, uh, you might think that the diet sounds very compelling. And what do you say to people who say, I just can't give up grains. I, I wouldn't know what to eat. How, how do you get started on, do you just throw everything out of your pantry or, or can you do it gradually? Well, you can always do it gradually because, you know, you don't have to be 100% on, on a diet from the first day. Um, you know, we really want this to be a life change, you know, something you do for the rest of your life and, and people have to figure out how to incorporate it into their lifestyle and so on. You know, I would say some of the keys are, uh, you know, getting rid of the bad things like vegetable seed oils, wheat and sugar. Um, a good basic meal structure. We have a, uh, a Perfect Health Diet food plate on our website at perfecthealthdiet.com. You should check that out. It's in the shape of an apple with a yin-yang symbol in the apple, symbolizing balance between plant and animal foods. And a good recipe for a meal is sort of um, equal parts uh, meat, fish, or eggs on one side, a, a safe starch on the other, and a sugary plant and vegetable on the other. Um, so, you know, sort of two-thirds or three-quarters plant foods, you know, one-quarter to one-third animal food on the plate. Uh, and, and basically, people should follow their uh, sense of taste toward delicious meals. You know, so in thinking about how much fat, you know, like how much butter or sour cream should you put on a potato, you know, trying to make it as tasty as possible. Okay. Um, and that will be a good good guide to its healthfulness. And, you know, so if you're making, if you're using good ingredients, natural whole foods, if you're following the rough proportions of our diet and you're trying to make everything delicious, um, you know, then things will work out great for you. Okay. And one last question I wanted to ask you was, you know, you're highly successful and you're, you wrote a great book. 
How do you manage your creative process as you're going through this? And your book has like over a thousand sources. First of all, how, how do you manage all those? And what, what is your process as you, as you're writing your book? Would you, do thoughts come to you or are you on PubMed all the time researching? How, how do you manage all that? Um, well, remember this was a seven year process. It was, you know, and the first five years were devoted to fixing our own health problems. And then the next two years were devoting to helping our readers, um, who, who came to us with health problems of their own. Um, you know, so it's really been an ongoing process of research and it's really driven by curiosity. You know, just, you know, I, I wonder how the body works or how much of this nutrient do we need? You know, how much is optimal? You know, when does it start becoming dangerous? And so it's just following, you know, curious questions like that. You know, so we were led to, you know, we were led from paleo toward a much broader ranging evolutionary biology uh, investigation. You know, what does evolution really tell us about the healthy diet? And are there, you know, more sources of evolutionary evidence? And then partly based on my economics perspective, um, you know, toward a nutrient toxin view, uh, you know, which also led us into the biology literature. So my wife is a biologist, so that was a natural perspective for us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so we thought about how to optimize the amounts of every nutrient that we led, you know, that we take in, you know, so we were really thinking for the most part at a nutrient level. And then once we know what nutrients we need, working back to what foods are good for us. Um, you know, so it really wasn't a food-based approach. It was more, uh, you know, nutritional and biological oriented approach. And I think we ended up back at a, you know, very delicious combination of foods. Um, but I think that was actually that turned out to be a much more effective way of figuring out the healthiest diet, you know, than the approaches that dietitians and uh, dietary scientists have taken. You can call it luck, you can call it chance, serendipity, um, you know, but we were just led along a path. Um, and, uh, and it just happened to end in a fruitful place. Wow. Well, Paul, thanks for being part of uh, Paleo Runner podcast. It's been great having you on. And there's a lot in your book that we didn't get to. Um, people, if they want to pick up your book, they can find the link at my website. Um, they can find the show on iTunes and follow me on Twitter. But the basic place to go to is paleorunner.org. So, Paul, thanks so much for writing your book. It was, it's a very interesting read. And thanks for being part of this podcast. All right. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for listening to another Paleo Runner podcast. If you like podcasts, you're also going to like Audible.com. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Kindle, Android, or MP3 player. You can even burn a CD of the audiobook if you like. It's a great way to learn while you're driving in the car or cleaning up around the house. One of the great things about Audible is that if you decide that you don't like the book you've downloaded, you can actually exchange it for another one. They want you to be happy with your order. If you'd like to get a free audiobook download, sign up at audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. You'll get a free audiobook download that you can keep regardless of whether you continue with the service or not. So go to audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. Thanks for listening.